<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin. I've got Rob on the phone. We are still practicing social distancing because we are health conscious, I guess. Rob, how are you doing? I'm all right, dude. Yeah, no, I obviously wish we could do this in person. Uh, check out your new crib or get you back over here at mine. But yeah. either way, either way, yeah, just happy to be doing a pod again, man. Yeah, so what Rob's talking about is I actually moved with my fiance CJ. We moved to Old Town, Alexandria. I, I used to be in Roslyn, which is closer to Rob, but now I'm in Old Town, so it's a little bit farther away. Plus, uh, it's not like super safe to be with other people not i'm not that i'm saying rob is unclean or anything but just that (laughs) just that uh i don't trust you or i don't trust anyone right now for that matter and yeah so we're doing this distantly again um yeah so what so we haven't had a show for the past two weeks um just our schedules haven't lined up so we're sorry about that but we're coming back today we're going to talk some stats um hypothetical stats which is always the most fun because we can make up whatever we want and no one can tell us that we're going to be wrong and we're going to talk some stats uh for leaders stat leaders for football this season upcoming season and also stat leaders for basketball for this upcoming season so we're excited to talk about that and um rob what have you been doing for the past two weeks before we get into that yeah i mean a lot of the same, you know, obviously things are kind of opening up here in Arlington, you know, from a coronavirus standpoint. So, you know, it's been good to kind of get out. Obviously things are still kind of nowhere close to normal, but it's been good to see more people out and about people out in restaurants outside. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing crazy, you know, still just up in Arlington and just kind of, you know, seeing people where you can and just making the best of it. What about you? Yeah, so uh, CJ and I actually adopted a kitten a couple days ago, so we have been we've had our hands full with that, which has been really exciting. <laughs> and uh, he's pure black. His name is Ghost. He's got these bright green eyes. He is a troublemaker, and uh, he doesn't like uh, to sleep at night. So we're trying to work through that, <laughs> which has been uh, not fun, but he is fun. So it's been fun, and. Uh, I should find another word besides fun to describe him, but he's been a joy to have, and he's a, just a ball of energy. I had to lock him out right now because he likes to walk um, on my laptop and on the recording equipment, so um, he's locked out right now, but uh, CJ's with him, so he should be fine for about an hour or so, hopefully. Isn't Ghost one of the names of the like Game of Thrones wolves? Yeah. Like, isn't yeah, one, one of them? The, yeah. One of the dire, it's Jon Snow's direwolf. Okay, okay, yeah. I was like, that, that rings a bell. Yeah. But we didn't name it after that. We just, um, <laughs> I don't know. He he likes to hide a lot, so we can't see him when he hides under things because he's, you know, he blends in with the shadows, and uh, you just see his eyes. So we uh, like that name. But we're open to other names as well, if you have any suggestions. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I think all UVA related names were kind of out. I don't think I was allowed to name him like Cavman or anything. So, I mean, Cutter, Raider, and Breaker, all <laughs> options. 
<laughs> I I think those are out. I think those are all out. <laughs> um, not by not by my choice. But uh, yeah. So that's it. But before we get into our show, I do want to talk about our new sponsor, Bet Online. So there's no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July, but right now there is still UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer. They have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds and lines for their upcoming games and matches. If you need more, BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline on your computer or mobile device to join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. Welcome to the Guys and Ties podcast. And before we get into our talk about stats, hypothetically, hypothetical stats, uh, Rob and I do want to talk about something uh, much more important that is going on in our country currently today, and that is the Black Lives Matter movement, the protests that are happening regarding the murder of George Floyd. I think that it's been really difficult to talk about for a lot of people. And so I think it's important for us to mention and important for us to show our support for the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests against police brutality. And I think that, you know, I've wrestled with this over the past couple of weeks, talking with my students about it. And so talking with them about racism and systemic racism and also police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement was eye-opening for me because they had a lot to say. It's important that the Guys Ties podcast show support for the Black Lives Matter movement as well as show support against racism and police brutality. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said, Dustin. And, you know, we can look at this from a UVA perspective and, you know, guys like Malcolm Brogdon, guys like Charles Snowden, you know, guys that really transcend kind of the role of traditional athletes. You know, it's really, it's really cool to see them, you know, being as out in the open and as vocal and uh, as much as leaders as they've been, uh, you know, as, as this movement and kind of education of the entire country um, has taken hold, but, you know, even more broadly speaking, you know, I just think it's really important to continue educating ourselves and, you know, learning where we can. And, you know, there's certainly tons of ways to be involved, you know, um, and certainly, you know, guys like Brogdon and Snowden have been more out and vocal about it, but there's certainly many other ways to contribute in that, you know, kind of the very least, just continue to educate yourselves because I think it really, really is important. So it's been, um, it's been very good to follow and, um, you know, just glad, glad we get the opportunity to talk about it a little bit here as well. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, we we are no in no way experts on the subject of 
Black Lives Matter. We are no way experts on uh, police brutality or racism. And, you know, there's no really good transition from talking about racism to talking about sports. But let's try to do that now. And so what Rob and I are going to try and do today is talk about different stats in both football and basketball. And we're going to try and take a guess as to who will lead that stat category in the next year. And we're going to mention who led that category this past year. And then we'll talk about who we think is going to do it this year. And then we're going to end on if we think it will be higher or lower than in the previous year. So, Rob, we're going to start with football because that is the sport that happens first. And we have a couple different stats that we're going to be looking at in terms of the leader in that position. So first off, let's start with um, probably the most, the position that's most in the limelight, which is quarterback. And we're going to talk about passing yards. So last year, Bryce Perkins had 300 or sorry, 3,538 passing yards. Who do you think it's going to be this year? Our passing leader. Yeah, I think it's going to be Brennan Armstrong. And, you know, that's going to be kind of the fun part of this exercise. It's in certain positions, you know, obviously who we're picking is the guy that we're saying is probably going to be the starter or play most of the snaps. So here I think it's Brennan Armstrong. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited about Brennan Armstrong. You know, I think he slings it, you know, has the ability to put a lot of zip on the football. And I think we're going to see, you know, a lot of similarities, you know, to the Kurt Benkert type offense that we ran, um, you know, when he was the quarterback at UVA, especially that 2017 season. And, you know, there's going to be design runs and whatnot for Brennan Armstrong. But, you know, I would consider him, while a powerful runner, I think his strength is going to be through the air. So, you know, by going Brennan Armstrong, I'm kind of naturally saying, hey, I, I think he's going to start over Keaton Thompson. But, you know, that's my two cents. Where are you coming out on this, Dustin? Yeah, I agree. I think I think Armstrong has a much better leg up than Thompson, especially considering um, practices are going to be limited, probably. Uh, and I know that some schools have said that practices are back. Some schools have said that they're not. But in UVA's case, I think this helps Armstrong. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where Armstrong probably benefits from this because, you know, we have a high level transfer coming in. And Armstrong's already been in the program for two years. So it's helpful that he knows the offense. It's helpful that the coaches know him as well. And it's helpful to know that, you know, he can, he does have some zip on that ball. Um, probably, you know, a little bit more than what Bryce did. Even though Bryce became a much better passer his second year as a starter, you know, Armstrong, I think, came in more known as a passer. So I think he will definitely lead the team in passing yards. But the real so, question is, will he have more than Bryce Perkins last year? I'll say no to that. <laughs> what do you say? I think I agree with you. I think, you know, Perkins was a transcendent quarterback for this team. 3,500 is a lot. I don't know if... I don't know if Brandon Armstrong reaches that this year. And, you know, that's the UVA's single season record for passing yards yeah. is what Bryce put up last season. So, I mean, we're if we're saying Brennan surpasses that, then we're saying, hey, like another record setting season from 
this time from the redshirt sophomore and Brennan Armstrong. I agree, but I, I'm not sure if he, I, I think he'll be really good. I'm excited to see what he can do. I don't know if it's record breaking. I'm sure he can get there like in a couple of years once he, once he figures out his receivers and once he figures out, you know, how to start and everything like that. But right off the bat in his first season starting, I don't know if it's going to be there. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of goes back to two things, both of which we'll kind of touch on um, as we go through the other positions. But, you know, Bryce really benefited at times from a really strong receiving core last year. Mm -hmm. And while Terrell Jana returns, you know, there's not going to be a Joe Reed. There's not going to be a Cease Dubois or even a Tanner Callie. You know, those three guys are gone. And, you know, also just looking at hopefully the way the offense can be set up with, you know, what you hope is going to be a stronger and at least more consistent offensive line. I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on rushing the football, you know, less dropbacks. I forget what it is, but I think Bryce Perkins accounted for 70 some percent of UVA's total yards last year. Yeah, it was like it was like 70, 78 or 77 or something like that. Yeah, something ridiculous. It was the most of any power five quarterback. I know that. Um, so yeah, I mean, just taking the, all those things into consideration, I think it's going to be a much more balanced offense. And while Brennan has been on the team for two years in reality, he's been in the system for two and a half years because he enrolled early out of high school. But, you know, looking at all that, you know, I think it's just going to be, you know, hopefully less reliance on the quarterback position, which will probably bring the total passing numbers down, but hopefully it brings more consistency to the offense. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, with with Bryce being gone, Brennan's gonna have to step up, and I think he's gonna have to learn really quick, uh, especially with you know Georgia and Clemson on the schedule. So that's gonna be a tough you know couple first game. I know Clemson's later, but um, that first month and a half of the season is gonna be uh, really telling of how he's gonna do for the rest of the season. So I think that's gonna be um, fun to see, and hopefully he can match Perkins. But I don't know if he can uh, this first year, especially with the schedule that we have. But speaking of Bryce, rushing yards. Last season, Bryce led the team with 769 rushing yards. So who does it this year and or who leads the team this year? And do they have more than Bryce last year? Yeah, so the first thing with Bryce's numbers, I think it's important to point out with college football, different than the NFL, they take sacks away from the quarterback's rushing yards in college football. So Bryce actually had net yards of 1,046, and he lost 277 on sacks. So, you know, it's, you know, there's certainly some rushes he had that went backwards, but at the same time, you know, if the rules are a little bit different, Bryce might have been a thousand yard rusher last year. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, uh, I don't think the quarterback is, and you know, who I'm predicting to be Brennan Armstrong. I don't think the quarterback leads the team in rushing this year. And last year, Wayne Talapapa was second on the team in rushing with 473 yards, but I'll actually go for a bit of a wild card here. And it's a wild card because we don't even know if he's going to be eligible yet, but I'm going to take Ronnie Walker. Mm. I think Ronnie Walker leads the team in rushing yards. And I think he has more than Bryce Perkins had last year. I think Ronnie Walker approaches 800, 900 yards this season as the lead back for UVA. Wow. That's a uh, That's pretty that's pretty stunning actually. I was not guess I I didn't think you'd say more than Bryce Perkins. Because I I don't think it's going to be more because there's such a 
committee of good backs in the backfield. You know, you're talking about uh, Wayne Talapapa. You're talking about Mike Hollins. And you're talking about, um, uh, you know, a transfer who's coming in who was highly recruited uh, coming out of high school and who has a lot of talent. So I think that there's a lot of touches to go around. And I'm not sure that one person is going to stand out amongst anything else. You know, I'm not sure that the coaching staff is going to have a workhorse back this season. See, I'll I'll take the opposite approach. I think everything we've learned from Bronco Mendenhall, from both his actions and what he says continually in press conferences, is that he prefers that workhorse type back. And, you know, looking back, you know, I think – 2016 is a little unfair to look at that year just because, you know, it was a little bit of an Albert Reed smoke combo. And I don't think either of those guys were perfect fits for the Broncos system. But really looking at 2017 and 2018 and even into 2019, you know, 2017 to 2018, Jordan Ellis was the lead ball carrier for UVA. He had 215 attempts each season. And 17, he had 836 yards, which would have topped Bryce Perkins' total from 19. And then in 2018, he had 1,026 yards, which also would have topped that total. And, you know, I think when we look at Ronnie Walker, assuming he gets eligible, I think Ronnie Walker is a Jordan Ellis type back, but with more speed, with more pass catching ability. You know, Bronco likes the word dynamic. He's called Ronnie Walker dynamic. You know, I don't think he's dynamic in a Reggie Bush type sense, Mm -hmm. but there's certainly more speed. There's more explosion. You know, a little bit of what we're going to or what we've hoped to see out of Mike Collins, and maybe still we'll see this year. But, you know, looking at what Ronnie Walker can bring to the table, I think it's clear the staff is really excited about him. And I think when we look at scheme fit, you know, that's what I keep going back to with Ronnie Walker. He's a downhill back, but he's got wiggle. He's got speed. And, you know, he has the ability to catch balls out of the backfield, which, you know, hopefully we think Mike Collins has, although we didn't see it last year, but it's certainly something you know, with all due respect to Wayne Talapapa, that he did not showcase last year. You know, Mm -hmm. Wayne Talapapa had one run over 20 yards last season, and it was a 31-yarder. And, you know, there's just needs to be more out of the backfield. And part of that's on the offensive line, too. But I think Ronnie Walker really brings something unique to the table that just these other backs don't necessarily have. So I think if he's eligible, he wins the job outright. And just going by historical trends, he'll probably be the workhorse and get the majority of the carries. Interesting. I like that. I like that thinking. You know, I was actually going to say um, him. I'm, I'm kind of split because uh, Ronnie Walker, I think you made a really good point about workhorse back. I also really, you know, going back to last year and w- what we talked about a lot was talent and and the hype surrounding Mike Hollins coming out of uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mike Hollins, we saw some sparks from him last year. And, you know, after he fumbled against Miami, you know, he really didn't play that much. And I think the coaching staff just didn't feel comfortable with him on the field. But I'm hoping this year that they feel more comfortable. I think that Mike Hollins is actually going to lead the team in rushing. And um, that's my that's my guess. Although you have a much better sense of what's going to happen more than I do. Um Let's stay on rushing and let's go to rushing touchdowns. Who has, who's going to have the most rushing touchdowns this year? Last year, it was Wayne Talapapa. He had 12 rushing touchdowns. He actually beat Bryce Perkins only by one rushing touchdown. 
and Wayne Talapapa actually led the country in rushing touchdowns, I think. Is that correct? Or was, did he just lead the ACC? Maybe he led the ACC, or maybe it was maybe it was the UVA record. There's something he did with rushing touchdowns. I, it might have been leading the ACC. I don't think it was the country. I think he led the ACC in um, rushing touchdowns. He's back. Yeah, he's you, only a junior. That's true. Do you think he leads the team in rushing touchdowns again? No, I don't. Um, because I think it goes back to kind of the workhorse type mentality that one back is going to get the majority of the carries. And, you know, Wayne Talapapa was really good at the goal line last year, but he also had by far the most opportunities there. So I'll, you know, under my assumption that I'm saying Ronnie Walker is the workhorse, I'll give the edge to Ronnie Walker. But the one, the one thing I will throw in there is, you know, when you talk about more of a power runner, mm-hmm. you know, Brennan Armstrong certainly fits that mold mm-hmm. more than Bryce Perkins did. You yeah. know, uh, Brennan Armstrong, he's certainly by no means Tim Tebow, but he's got a little bit of that lower your shoulder type of Tim Tebow feel to his running style. Mm-hmm. So I am curious to see, you know, if UVA gets the ball on the one or two yard line, are they going to? line up heavy and Ryan with Wayne Talapapa, or in this case, what I'm going to say is Ronnie Walker this coming season, or are they more willing to give Brennan the ball on a draw or, you know, uh, just a direct snap. So I'm curious to see how they'll approach that. But ultimately I'll say Ronnie Walker has the most touchdowns, although I will say it'll be less than the 12 that Wayne Talapapa had last year. I agree. I agree. It's going to be less. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I think there's going to be, once again, if you know, I you know better than me, but I think that my guess is that if there's more of a committee this year, there will be more people with more touchdowns. You know, it was uh, Wayne Talapab with 12 rushing touchdowns, Bryce Perkins with 11, and then it dropped all the way down. Mike Collins had three, PK Kyer had one, and Lamont Atkins had one. So that was it. And those were all garbage times, so yeah, against yeah, William and Mary type yeah. teams. Yeah, and so. And so uh, it was really just Talapapa and Bryce doing all the running for us last year, even though, you know, we had some other players like Kyer and Holland and, um, you know, Joe Reed lining up back there sometimes. But, you know, I, I'm going to actually say Talapapa has the most touchdowns this year rushing-wise. I think that it's going to be more spread out between, you know, if you if Brennan takes some in, if uh, if if – uh, Ronnie Walker is eligible. He's going to take some in. If Mike Hollins plays, he'll take some in. But I think Talapapa, you know, he showed last year he's really good on the goal line. He's really good at falling forward for two or three yards. And um, so I think that he actually stays with the rushing touchdown leader. All right. All right. So, I mean, certainly just like last year, you know, certainly it's going to be interesting to see how the backfield plays out, um, especially now that we're talking about with a new quarterback back there as well. But certainly a number of scenarios that could happen here without question. Right. Um, it, but, you know, it, it really felt like every time last year that we were on the goal line and Wayne took it in, it felt like he was going to make it if it was one or two yards out. Like there was just no question whether it was a good push from the line or um you know just good running by him he he did a really good job of making the most of his opportunities on the goal line i really can't remember too many times that he got stuffed on the goal line yeah and you know it's also you know as much as maybe we 
don't have fun saying it. It is a bit of a credit to Robert and I too, you know, being able to scheme up those runs to get him in the back or get him in the end zone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, that's, I think that'll be really interesting. Let's say Wayne Talapapa does not win the starting running back job this season outright. You know, does he become a goal line back? Is yeah. Bronco willing to amend the system to say, Hey, you know, once we get into the red zone, Wayne's our guy, or is he going to keep rolling with whoever that other starting running back might be if it's not Wayne? Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting. I think there's a number of scenarios that could play out here. Um, but just looking at it, you know, it's uh, history tells us Bronco likes to use one back, yeah. at least during his time at UVA. So depending on whether it's Wayne or whether it's someone else, I think whoever that person is has the heavy advantage there, just based off what we know historically. Yep, yeah, I agree. That's uh, well said. Well said. But right. I guess that brings us to receiving then mm-hmm. are, are you good to move to receiving yeah let's move to receiving i i don't think we need to do passing touchdowns because i feel like that's pretty obvious it, it's gonna be whoever the starting quarterback is which we yeah. think is gonna be brennan yep okay so let's move on to receiving yards last year it was hasis dubois 1062 receiving yards are although um you know we had some really good receivers also in terrell Jana and joe reed Jana had um 886 and Joe Reed had 679. So does anyone um, surpass Dubois's 1062? And who is it? I'll say no receiver beats Hasis's yards total. I don't think any receiver tops a thousand yards. I'll say Terrell Jana still is the leading receiver. And I'll say he's probably about right with his receiving total. You know, last year, he approached 900 yards receiving. I'll say that's probably about right this year. I think he'll lead the team in receiving yards. Um, but I think, like we said with quarterback, you know, the offense is going to be less pass heavy, and there's certainly going to be more weight put on Terrell Jana. And, you know, it's kind of crazy to think he had, you know, essentially 200 yards more receiving than Joe Reed did, but he did. And most of that came in the latter half of the season. You know, he had terrific games against Virginia Tech, against mm-hmm. uh, UNC, against uh, Florida in the Orange Bowl. Um, but, yeah, so I think it will be Terrell Jana, but uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing the receiving yards totals we saw last year. Yeah. What do you think? No, I agree. I think Jana is going to lead the team, but I don't think that he tops 1,000. You know, it's interesting, and we've talked about this before too, but, you know, Joe Reed had the most receptions out of those three uh, Dubois, Jan, and Reed, but he had the least yards, but he also had the most touchdowns. So it really, you know, I think my memories of last season are kind of skewed and the way receiving yards are looked at because it felt like Joe Reed was involved a lot more than his stats show, right? He had uh, 679 yards compared to 886 and 1062 for Jan and Dubois, respectively, but he had the most touchdowns. And he also had the most receptions. He also did a lot of uh, returning, and he had touchdowns there. Um, I, I think it's really interesting that he had so many less yards than the other two. I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of the Alameda effect, too. You know, he was so mm-hmm. involved in the offense, you know, that just every reception of his couldn't be a big chunk play, right. you know. Uh, he had a couple deep balls, but he really excelled kind of in the slide and mm-hmm. really on routes that were, you know, probably five to 15 yards in that range. And 
you know, a lot of what they used him for was, you know, screams or in the short passing game, understanding he's probably the guy, you know, with more of a running back skill set once the ball is in his hands that could really get yards after the catch. So yeah. it is interesting, you know, and looking past Terrell Jana for next season, you know, he's the only one of our top four receivers in terms of yards to return. You know, the next leading receiver coming back is Billy Kemp with mm-hmm. 289 yards. So, you know, it's really not as much of a competition here. And, you know, even just jumping the gun to what our next question will be, you know, receiving touchdowns. I think Terrell Jana, you know, improves on his total of three from last year. I don't know if he hits the seven that Joe Reed had, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think it's another clear choice to say, yeah, Terrell Jana leads this team in touchdown receptions. Yeah, I, I think I think so, too. I think that's a um, really good call because Jana is our only really proven uh, wide receiver coming back. You know, we've got... Uh, Tavares Kelly and Billy Kemp, who are both, you know, good receivers, but haven't seen the field a ton in the previous years. Um, They also don't have the touchdowns to show for. They each had one last year. So it'll be interesting to see how they are schemed into the offense and how they're working with Brennan to, you know, build up that trust and build up that um, receiver quarterback connection. But I do think Jan is going to lead the team in yards and touchdowns. I'm actually going to say he's going to push Joe Reed with seven touchdowns next season. I think that's a a good number for him to hit because, you know, Brennan's going to have to throw to someone. So who is it going to be? Jana had a leap last year, you know, going from his uh, sophomore year to his junior year, there was a huge leap in what he, and what his production was. And I think that he continues that growth. I think he gets more yards. I think he gets more touchdowns. And I think he does lead the team in both categories. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And that, one thing I do want to call out, what I think, which I think is really interesting, that I'm just noticing for the first time right now, you know, we only had three players last year that had multiple touchdown catches. You mm-hmm. know, Hasise, Terrell, Jana, and Joe Reed. You know, Hasise had six, he graduated. Joe Reed had seven touchdowns, he's graduated. So Terrell Jana is our only returning player that had multiple touchdown receptions last season, and he had three. So it is really going to be interesting to see, you know, when we get in the red zone or even, you know, if there is a chunk play, a big play, you know, who's going to be the go-to's guys there. Mm -hmm. I think Jan is the easy guy to say he's number one, but obviously the evolution of the receiving core as a whole is going to be a really interesting uh, thing to watch develop. Right. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's move on to our next category. All right. Tackles. So not tackles for loss, not sacks yet, although we'll get to that. We're just going tackles here. Last year, Zane Zandier led the team in tackles with 108. Dustin, who leads the team next year and is up more or less than Zane's 108 tackles? So, you know, I think that Zane did a good job last year of, you know, we always kind of made fun of Zane as a headhunter because he's always like, trying to get the tackle and that's kind of his job as a uh you know one of those two center back or center linebackers uh so it'll be interesting with jordan mack gone who you know takes that other spot is it going to be um you know who who is going to take that next spot is it going to be nick jackson is it going to be someone else i think you know my guess is nick jackson i think the coaches have been really high on him recently it could be someone else, though. So those two middle linebacker spots oftentimes have the, you know, the job of tackling whoever it is. 
and Zane did a really good job of being in a good position to make a lot of tackles last year. Um, Joey Blunt actually was close behind him with 95 tackles last year, and I'm going to say that this is tough, but I'm going to say that one of the middle linebackers is going to have the most tackles again this year, and I think it's going to be Zane. You know, Zane's been really, really good for us these past couple years. I actually think it's going to be less than 108, but because uh, I think that there's a lot of improvement all across the defense um, this this upcoming season, especially with the linebackers. So I think that Zane's uh, workload is going to drop a little bit, and I think that, but I do think that he will lead the team in tackles again. Yeah, I agree. As far as more or less with Zane, you know, I think he leads the team. I'll go less. I'll say he has less than 108 tackles. And, you know, part of part of it was interesting this past season with the middle linebackers was, you know, Jordan Mack battled injuries down the stretch of the season, kind of as he did, you know, in the 2018 season. He also had to miss, you know, essentially two halves. You know, he missed the second half of play against Louisville and the first half of play against UNC because of the targeting penalty. A bad so targeting even penalty. Though he, yeah, so even though he played in both those games, you know, it shows him as playing 13 games on the season. You know, as far as snap count, it's pretty significantly less than what you would think for an every-down linebacker mm-hmm. for a 13-game season. Um, but, you know, I think it is really interesting that you bring up Joey Blunt. You know, for two years you know, when Bronco had Quinn Blanding and Micah Kaiser, mm-hmm. you know, two very different players, um, especially Micah over Zane, but also Quinn and Joey, you know, two different players. But it was also kind of that same thing, that middle linebacker and that safety, you know, were the two leading the team in tackles each of those two years. So I think it is really interesting that Joey Blunt had 95 tackles. I'm with you. I'll go with a middle linebacker. I think that's definitely the safest call as far as leading the team in tackles. But mm-hmm. it is really interesting and something that, um, you know, I think flew under the radar a little bit, which is how many tackles Joey Blunt had last season. Yeah, and, you know, Joey Blunt also led the team in solo tackles at 60. So uh, almost two-thirds of his tackles were solo tackles, which, you know, is not a great thing for a safety. You know, you don't want the safety to have a solo tackle because that means that something bad has gone wrong. Um, but Zane, Zane had 49 out of 108 solo tackles. So Joey Blunt, um, pretty good good tackler you know he there was a couple misses he had especially you know thinking back to the orange bowl um a couple missed tackles in that game but overall really solid tackler but we don't want the safety to lead the team in tackles so that you know it's really telling you know first first last couple years of the london era and the first couple years of the bronco era where um blanding led the team in tackles like that's not what you want to see is your safety leading the team in tackles because that means that it's just gone wrong at some level (laughs) yeah definitely definitely um so yeah i think and i think one thing we should say about zane zandier is you know zane he showed a lot of flashes his sophomore season that 2018 season when you know there was a lot of rotations at the middle linebacker spot you know malcolm cook started there and then he got hurt and the staff kind of favored Rob Snyder for a bit, and then they kind of switched to favoring Zane, all while Jordan Mack was in and out of the lineup with injuries. You know, there was a lot of rotating pieces there. And, you know, Zane Zandier, while he played well as a true sophomore, you know, there was also reasons why the staff was going with Rob Snyder. You know, Rob Snyder, while maybe the ceiling wasn't as high, you know, he was better in his angles. He was more consistent. There weren't as many over-pursuits. Last year, Zane Zandier really settled down. And, you know, as a blitzer, and also against the run, 
you know, he showed really well, you know, was generally really patient. And, you know, there just weren't any of those plays where, like, man, Zane should have made that tackle. You know, if he was there, he pretty much made that tackle, which, you know, looking at him, having him for one more year in the system, I think he's really going to excel this coming year. Yeah, I agree. Um, I And I'm excited to see, you know, what he does. And as you said, he made great strides in his angles. And he there were some times where he you know, over pursued a little bit, but you know, he's the one that always wants to make the hit, wants to make the tackle. And so that's why I like to joke that he's a headhunter. But really he's been very he's a pretty clean player in terms of tackling. He's a good tackler. And um I hope that 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 trend continues. But uh let's move on to the next category, which is gonna be sacks. Uh we're talking about tackling. Let's talk about sacks and like the best kind of tackle that you can get in football. <laughs> Um, last year, Jordan Mack actually led the team with sacks with 7.5, you know, despite the limited snap count and the injuries and the, the, uh, BS suspension, he, uh, had seven and a half sacks, which is pretty good, um, for 48 yards. Uh, Noah Taylor was actually right behind him with seven sacks. Rob, who do you think leads the team this year in sacks? I think there are two pretty solid candidates for it but I want to hear what you have to say yeah you know I'll, I'll go Noah Taylor I think Jordan Mack you know so many of his sacks came in the first half of the season and I mm-hmm. think he had a couple against William and Mary I know he had at least one against Pitt um, you know a lot of his numbers came early in the season I think as we watched the season go on I think we saw Noah Taylor uh, really emerge and you know he mm-hmm. was second on the team with seven sacks and you know Charles Snowden was kind of the same as Jordan Mack, you know, I think Snowden, he had a sack against, uh, I want to say he had a snap, a sack against tech. I think he also had one in the orange bowl, but you know, he only had five sacks on the season and two of those came against old dominion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a little bit skewed there as well. So just looking at these numbers and just looking at ceiling, I really, really like Noah Taylor. I mean, I like Noah Taylor in every facet of his game and, you know, I don't know if we win the tech game, honestly, without Noah Taylor. You yeah. Know, we were so thin at defensive back and Noah Taylor was switching between playing, you know, essentially a pass rusher and then switching back to safety. I mean, mm-hmm. how many how many players make the two interceptions he made? How many linebackers make those interceptions he made against tech? Yeah. Um, it's really crazy to think about. But as a pass rusher, I think we saw Noah Taylor come a long way in the second half of the season. And, you know, his seven sacks. I'll say I'll say he has more than Jordan Mack's seven and a half sacks. Mm. I'll say Noah Taylor ends up with eight to eight and a half sacks next year, yeah. um, which will lead the team. Yeah. But what are you thinking? No, I agree. I think the rising junior is going to be really, really key for this team. You know, with the three, four, those two outside linebackers are super important for uh, rushing, even and because of you know the type of defense they're they're linebackers, but they have to be able to kind of be big and take on those offensive linemen as well on the rush. And both Snowden and Noah Taylor do a really good job of just, you know, blitzing uh, really fast, but also being able to drop back into coverage. I think Noah Taylor is much better than Snowden in coverage. Um, I think Noah Taylor has some supreme athleticism. And, you know, you're mentioning those two uh, interceptions against Tech. What about that sack against Tech, you know, to – that kind of the to to push them back a little bit the one that i'm thinking of this because on twitter no taylor actually posted a a hype video of him uh sacking uh hooker in uh, scott stadium and it it was that one where it looked like he grabbed his face mask 
but it didn't. He didn't. So that was always I always remember that one because I really thought they were going to call a face mask on that one. But I agree with you. I think Noah Taylor is going to lead the team in sacks. I was thinking either Noah Taylor or um, Charles Snowden. I honestly think Snowden, you know, could have or maybe should have had more sacks. You know, it looking to like last year, the the year before, where he should have sacked um, uh, the Tech quarterback. What's his face? I forget. I can see his face, but I don't. I don't remember his name. That's how much I. Oh, uh, was it um, the the shoot. white the white guy who was like yeah. not a, not that good? Uh, Ryan Willen. Yes, yes, he was fine. But I didn't like him anyway. He um he should have sacked him, and then we ended up losing that game. And you know, I think both of us, and I think a lot of the people thought that he would come in last year and kind of feed off that and get more sacks and he did get more sacks he did get better but probably not as good of a rushing season or pass rushing season as many would have hoped for um but with the emergence of Noah Taylor and then we've got Charles Snow on the other edge I think our outside linebackers are both really really good and both really really talented um both should be pro prospects uh after next season if they continue their growth and I'm looking for one of them to lead the team in sacks. I'm going to say Noah Taylor again, like you. And I think he does get more than Jordan Mack. Yeah. You know, a couple interesting points there. You know, with Jordan Mack, he had uh, six of his seven and a half sacks come in the first five games last year. You know, he had two mm-hmm. and a half against William and Mary. And then he had sacks against Florida State, Old Dominion, Notre Dame. The only sacks he had in the second half of the year was one against Duke. Um, and a half sack against Liberty. So, you know, yeah, we are losing seven and a half sacks from Jordan Mack, but, you know, looking at the defense in the second half of the season, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, You know, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, I think we should hopefully expect some growth out of Snowden and Taylor this year, but both of them are just such tremendous players and really fit the mold of what Bronco and Kelly Papinga are looking at outside linebackers. And, you know, I've said this the year before, and I'll say it again this year. I think the biggest area Charles Snowden can grow his game is as a pass rusher, mm-hmm. especially as an NFL prospect. You know, he's a really strong, solid, and versatile outside linebacker in UVA scheme. And the NFL teams are drafting three, four outside linebackers, which he definitely is, uh, to be a pass rusher, to mm-hmm. lead the team in sacks. So I think as far as growth goes for Charles Snowden, that's the big area he can improve on. And, you know, Noah Taylor... I'm not going to say yet there's a possibility of him jumping early. You know, if he has a massive season, then maybe there is. I don't think we're at that point yet Mm -hmm. with him. But at the same time, I'm expecting big growth from him in all facets of his game. And I'm with you. I like like Snowden and Taylor to be one, two in sacks. I'll give the edge to Noah Taylor. Yeah, I agree. Although I also really like, you know, our defensive uh, tackles are both really good too. Uh, You're looking at uh, Famui and Alonzo. And Juwan Briggs, they're all, you know, coming back and they're all, you know, you know, the in the three four, I don't think the three big guys up front, you know, get a lot of sacks, but these guys um have improved a lot and are really good at stuffing those holes. Uh hopefully they can get through a lot too. So I'm looking for them to get some sacks as well. Definitely. Definitely. Um, which leads us to the last defensive stat we'll talk about. Uh, our last football stat, that is, mm-hmm. uh, interceptions. Last year, Joey Blunt leads the team with three interceptions. Two other guys, Noah Taylor, Devontae Cross, and Nick Grant, have two interceptions apiece. 
who leads the team in interceptions next year, Dustin? And is it more than three from Joey Blunt? I don't think it's more than three. I think that this team, you know, we lose some, some, a really good player in Bryce Hall. Um, but, you know, even Bryce Hall didn't have a lot of interceptions when he played because he just defended them so well. Um, and then quarterback stopped throwing his way because, you know, he, he was, uh, blocking everything but I do think that Joey Blunt has a chance to uh, lead the team in interceptions I think that our other safety uh, Devontae Cross has a chance to lead the team in interceptions as well hopefully uh, Devontae Cross can stay at safety you know we've talked about him it seems like for a couple years now what position does he play and it seems like he really excelled when he played safety last year you know when he was forced to play cornerback in the Orange Bowl, he made some mistakes, um, but as safety, he did a lot better. I also, I want to give a kind of a dark horse candidate for this uh, category, but Brenton Nelson didn't play a lot last season, got hurt, but I do think that he could have some interceptions too. He's a great slot corner, um, so I'm looking for him to come back strong this year as well. But I, I will, I will stay, I will say Joey Blunt leads the team but doesn't beat three yeah i'm with you i'll say joey blunt leads the team three interceptions uh but i think you hit the nail on the head right there dude i think what you said about uh Brendan nelson is really really interesting because he you know two years ago he was playing he was starting at safety uh you know with quinn blanding and then the year before it was kind of him and you know juan thornhill a little bit and then last year, you know, expecting him to kind of be a full-time safety, you know, he kind of got bumped out of the starting lineup with Devontae Cross emerging. But it was really, you know, he was on the field all the time either way because if he wasn't at safety, he was essentially the slot corner. And mm-hmm. to anyone who subscribes to The Athletic, you know, they just did the State of the Program article on UVA. And I think Bronco, I've always liked Bronco's quotes he gives. I think they're really insightful. You know, he doesn't hide anything. I think one of the more interesting quotes that Bronco had in that piece was he said that losing Brendan Nelson for the season was more damaging to the defense than losing Bryce Hall for the season yeah. because they're able to use Brendan Nelson in so many different ways that losing him, you know, he was kind of their Swiss army knife, the guy that could solve any problem they needed. Him to. Yeah. And yeah. losing him, you know, just hurt that versatility so much. So, you know, Brendan Nelson, he had one interception last season. Um, you know, I think that's about right. You know, this is a defense that, like you said, they've been great, you know, uh, in defending passes, you know, especially that 2018 season, you know, kind of highlighted by the Belk Bowl. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, these guys haven't been, you know, picking off tons of passes with the exception of Juan Thornhill, who was yeah. a really special talent. Yeah. So, yeah, I like Joey Blunt. I also, I would say Nick Grant has a shot too. You mm-hmm. know, Nick Grant. He's not your traditional number one corner, but he also played really well um, and made, you know, I certainly exceeded my expectations. Yes. Another dark horse guy is uh, Darius Braden, mm-hmm. who's supposed to be full go after tearing his ACL last season. So hopefully he is. But yeah, ultimately at the end of the day, I didn't go with what you know, and that's Joey Blunt. Yeah. Um, so I like him to lead the team. I really like what you said about Nick Grant. And, you know, last season, our secondary was devastated, devastated by, especially the cornerback position, um, by injuries and season ending injuries and you know I think that a lot of people kind of forget that Brenton Nelson got injured kind of pretty early in the year even before 
Bryce Hall because he um his injury was not as you know sudden I want to say I feel like you know he played one one game and then the next week he just was out for the rest of the season um Bryce Hall you know we saw the ankle break we saw him carted off the field we knew he was done but with Brenton Nelson it was just kind of like oh we don't have him anymore so I feel like you know having Brenton Nelson back is going to be a huge boost to the secondary and hopefully he stays healthy healthy um but I also really like what you said about Nick Grant he definitely uh not only exceed uh exceeded expectations but got better as the season went on and was really pretty good in coverage for most of the season so he wasn't you know I think comparing him to Bryce Hall is unfair because Bryce Hall was probably one of the best corners um, in the ACC last season, even though he, you know, we we see the draft stock fall because of the injury and everything, but he was really, really good in his junior year. And unfortunately, his senior year didn't get get the chance to um, build on that. But Nick Grant did a good job covering for him in a time where he probably didn't expect to play that much based on who was in the secondary, you know, group. So I think he did a really good job, but I do think um, Joey Blunt leads the team again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not even to mention, you know, Darius Braden was lost before the season with his ACL tear. And, you know, before Tim Harris really emerged at the end of 2018, you know, mm-hmm. for the first half of the season, Darius Braden was playing over Tim Harris. Yeah. In my opinion, played really well. So hopefully there's just a lot of pieces returning here. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you, though. I like Joey Blunt here. So with that, it probably makes sense to take a quick break here, collect our breaths, and kind of do the same thing here a little bit for basketball. Yeah, and before we get into the basketball stats, I want to talk about Bet Online again. There's no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. And with the sports world slowly making its way back to the NBA, announcing its return in late July, but the UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have already resumed play, and Bet Online has the best odds and lines for their upcoming games and matches. Bet Online has also simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC matches happening live every day for the devout gamblers. And BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. All right, so we did football, but let's go into basketball. And with basketball, I think, you know, we were left with some you know, a want to finish that season. And I think a lot of UVA fans were really, really excited for the postseason when at the beginning of the season, they might not have felt that way, which is really interesting because, you know, with UVA basketball being so successful over the past 10 years or so, uh, not 10, like seven, seven years, six years, you know, a lot of people have really high hopes, especially UVA fans have really high hopes for UVA basketball at the beginning. And then at the end, you know, the the story for a while was that UVA would choke in the postseason. But after winning the national championship in 2019, a lot of people had high hopes for this group of players, but not so much as to like go far in the national tournaments 
would you agree with me on that, Rob? Just in the how people were feeling about the team. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty accurate. And I think that you know, as the season went on, however, we realized and we saw that the defense was historically really good. You know, one of the best defenses uh, in college basketball history. Uh, we were holding people to fifty or less almost every game. And the offense had started to come alive. You know, Jay Huff uh, really was starting to find his groove. Kihei Clark, you know, I think did a lot better than what a lot of people thought he would do offensively in terms of shooting and getting to the basket. Uh, We saw people like, you know, um, Casey Morsell and Cody Statman play really well in or play well defensively and, you know, starting to try and find a groove late in the season. Mamadi Diakite, of course, was really the heart and soul of the offense and the defense. And I think that people were excited to see ACC tournament play. And then, you know, where were, where were we going to be seated in the NCAA tournament? A lot of people thought we could be a five seed, maybe even a high four or a low four seed if we did well in the ACC tournament. So, you know, I think, I feel like a lot of people had kind of a bad taste in their mouth after the season kind of ended because we felt like we were riding a really hot streak. Um, but let's talk about some stats from last year, who led those stats and then who do we think is going to lead those stats this year? So Rob, let's start off with kind of the easiest one in my opinion, which is points. Who is going to lead the UVA basketball team in points for this upcoming season? Yeah. You know, I'll say this one along with assists per game are also very easy. Um, to me, it's Sam Hauser for points per game, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't, I don't think there's really too much of an argument either way there. Uh, you know, last season, Mamadi Diakite led the team with 13.7 points per game, which is kind of crazy. In my head, I didn't realize you know it was that much, but um, he led the team uh, with 13.7 points per game. And you know, looking at Sam Hauser, Sam Hauser, um, you know, it's just going to be such a versatile player for UVA. Um, and, you know, two years ago at Marquette, he averaged 14.9 points per game. You know, I could see him ending up with around that average at UVA um, next season. But to me, I think Sam Hauser is almost a no-brainer here for points per game. I, I totally agree with you. I think that Hauser really has a, a chance to be not only the leading scorer for UVA, but also maybe a front runner for ACC Player of the Year. Um, depending on how well he shoots and how well he scores for UVA. You know, at Marquette, he was known as a shooter, and he's also got some other moves as well, but UVA has never really, in in a couple years, had a player like him. We've had similar play, like you can point at DeAndre Hunter, who's a more of a you know power forward. Sam Hauser's a little bit different, though. He's more of a really a pure shooter, maybe even kind of up there with, Kyle Guy or Joe Harris in terms of like what he does best, you know? Um, Hauser, I think, is a very, very good chance he leads the team in scoring uh, this upcoming season. And I do think he gets more than Mamadi's 13.7 last year. Yeah, I mean, other guys that could challenge, you know, Kihei Clark was second on the team last season, scoring 10.8 points per game. Mm -hmm. I think that's about right. You know, I think his role is going to evolve 
you know, more as a distributor than as a scorer, just because there's going to be more options. Yeah. You know, Thomas Walda Tensai, he was 6.6 points per game. I can see that going up. Oh, I you know. Jay Huff. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Thomas Walda Tensai's numbers were held back so much by mm-hmm. a slow start to the season. Yes. Um, and Jay Huff was 8.5 points per game. I could see him maybe reaching around 10 or 11. But, um, yeah, as far as as far as leading scoring goes, I really think it's going to be Sam Hauser, and I, it might be Sam Hauser by three or four points. I agree, and I think I do think Kihei's going to maybe stay around ten, maybe go up a little bit. Even you know Kihei, one thing about him is he did a really good job of reading the defense and knowing when to go to the basket. And I've mentioned this before, but you know at the beginning of the season he would often drive to the basket and have some space, but just because he's so much smaller than some of the other players. He would get blocked uh, from from behind or from uh, someone sliding over to help. But he did a really good job of being able to circle around kind of Steve Nash-esque. And, you know, he watched a lot of Steve Nash videos over the course of the season to, and, and find someone. So he was a great distributor this past season. And his points could go up or down depending on, you know, what the team needs. I think Kihei steps up for what the team needs. And I think he did last season too. I don't think anyone really would have guessed that he would have ended the season averaging over 10 points a game. Um, I certainly did not. I thought it would come from, you know, someone else like Thomas Wolotensai who or Tomas Wolotensai, excuse me, who, you know, as you said, started off really, really cold from three. Um, just, just really abysmal shooting to start the season, but he got really hot in certain games, if you look to like um, uh, the Pitt game, if you look to the UNC game, and some of those other games where he had you know six or seven threes, and he can really shoot the heck out of the ball. So if he can be more consistent instead of like a really streaky shooter, he can do uh, really really well. The thing about Walter Tensai is he can't really, or he didn't show a lot of a mid range game. He didn't show a lot of a driving game, and I also expect Jay Huff to be in the double digits next season. Jay Huff um, didn't really start slow, but really started to find his groove, especially, you know, if you look to the Duke game, especially where he just took over and uh, almost had a triple-double with points, rebounds, and blocks. And I'm looking for Jay Huff in his senior season. You know, hopefully he comes back from the NBA draft. He hasn't Hasn't decided yet, doesn't have to decide for a little bit longer, but hopefully he comes back and hopefully he has some stuff to work on from those NBA scouts. And, you know, if you look at Mamadi Diakite from what he did coming back, you know, Mamadi Diakite showed that he had some range. He was able to take people off the dribble. Um, Mamadi showed off some moves that I think the NBA scouts really, really wanted to him to work on. And hopefully Jay Huff gets some, some of that uh, advice too. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and not, I'd imagine he would. And we just saw how far Jay Huff came really in the second half of the season, you know, with the Duke game being kind of the prime example of, you know, what Jay Huff looks like more as a well-rounded type player. Um, I think kind of moving on to the next category, I think the next category, assists per game, I think that's maybe even easier than points per game for me. Yeah. Uh, it's Kihei Clark. Yes. You know, last season, Kihei Clark had 176 assists. Mm-hmm. The next highest player was Braxton Key with 49. Yeah. Like, putting that in perspective, Kihei Clark averaged almost six assists per game, and Braxton Key didn't even average two assists per game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, higher or lower than 176, 
It's tough. You know, I might say lower just because I think there's going to be more ball handling options next year. You know, I think Reese Beekman is going to play. And, you know, I think Kihei Clark, you know, maybe could get more efficient with the ball. You know, I think maybe he does become even a better distributor just Mm -hmm. as his next two years at UVA unfolds. But I really hope he's not playing 37 minutes a game next year like he did last year. So I think just by virtue of coming down a little bit in minutes per game, I think his assist total will also probably come down too. But I think it's clear on obvious, you know, Kihei Clark leads the team in assists next year. I totally agree with you. And I do agree that his efficiency could, you know, has a lot of room to improve on. He, um, you know, he, he averaged uh, almost six assists per game, but also averaged three and a half turnovers per game. So just being able to take care of the ball a little bit more. And a lot of those, you know, came from the fact that he had a, to do a lot with the ball because this team just did not have a lot of offensive firepower last season. So ha- holding onto the ball for a little bit too long, you know, talking about going under the basket and getting trapped. Um, but he did a lot better at, towards the end of the season and distributing the ball. So I, I'm looking for that. Um, and, you know, you're talking about our second leading assist being uh, Braxton. I'm looking for, you know, Hauser to kind of step into that role of also being a good, a solid ball handler and also a good passer uh, down low. So hopefully he can step into that role of the, you know, the four guard uh, or the four spot really being able to uh, distribute as well as score a lot. But I do think he will lead the team. Yeah, no, I, I don't think we really I don't, need yeah, to I say don't that think, much there. I don't think we should have talked about it for that long. But <laughs> moving on is uh, rebounds. And we also lose our leading rebounder from last year. We actually lose our top two rebounders from last year in Braxton Key and Mamadi Diakite. Braxton Key led the team with 7.4 rebounds. Mamadi had 6.8 per game. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where the rebounds come from this year. The person who had the most rebounds behind those two was Jay Huff with 6.2 per game. And Jay Huff... You know, I think we've been critical of him in the past for his rebounding, um, sometimes letting some smaller players push him around just because of his size and, you know, his his weight distribution. He he might be easier to push around than some other people like Braxton Key or Mamadi Diakite. But I do think that Jay Huff will lead the team in rebounding this year just because of his size. He did get a lot better from each year. He's gotten better at rebounding, uh, and I expect no less from his senior season. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think Jay Huff leads the team in rebounds. Like you said, um, Mamadidi Akite and Braxton Key were really 1-2. There wasn't much differentiation there. Mamadidi mm-hmm. had 203 rebounds. Braxton had 199 rebounds. Uh, Jay Huff, you know, a little bit behind them with 186 and 6.2 rebounds per game. So he's the leading returning rebounder. Kihei Clark is actually second on the team, believe it or not. He had 125 boards, 4.2 per game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... The two people who can maybe challenge, you know, at least one person in uh, in general who can maybe challenge Jay Huff would actually be Sam Hauser. Yeah. So, you know, looking at Sam Hauser, his last year at Marquette, he actually averaged 7.2 rebounds per game. And obviously what they ran was a very different system than the pack line, as are most, you know, college defensive systems. But he actually had 245 rebounds his last year at Marquette you know, which would have topped uh, Mamadi's 203 total this year. So 
you know, looking at that, you know, I think there's a chance that Hauser could challenge there. Um, you know, ultimately I'll say Jay Huff, you know, leads the team in rebounds. I'll say he probably has about what Mamadi had about 200 boards next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the other wild card is just, you know, we talked about starting lineups a little bit. Does Tony Bennett, you know, is he able to go smaller this year? I think he likes going smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's his preference. But, you know, if he does, if he is forced to go bigger, you know, I don't think uh, Kafaro or McCoy will necessarily challenge for the top spot. But it would be interesting to see, you know, if either of those guys get more run in the front court, mm-hmm. you know, where where this kind of shakes out with them. But ultimately, I'll say Jay Huff leads the team in rebounding next season. I, I agree with everything you said, but I, I also think someone maybe in the guard position who could um, kind of like Kihei this year. And it, it, it once again, it depends on playing time and, and, and freshman minutes, but Jabri Abdur-Rahim um, coming in is a big body, kind of got a body like uh, DeAndre Hunter, who was a pretty good rebounder. And uh, I think Tony's system is good for guards who can rebound. You know, you're looking at uh, Kihei Clark, who is, um, you know, coming back from is the second re- leading returning rebounder who played a lot. And he was able to, you know, with the with the bigs boxing out, the guards kind of sneak in there and take the balls. Um, and I, I just think that's the system that Tony runs and the kind of the way that uh, he has his team rebound. But I do think that uh, Jabri can come in and get some playing time and also get some rebounds. I think that if he can carve out a role, you know, working hard on defensive end and also uh, hustling for ball, like things like rebounds, loose balls, uh, can get him some more playing time. So hopefully I'm looking for him to to do that as well. Yeah. And, you know, even talking about guards, you know, Kyle Guy was a terrific defensive yeah. rebounder, yeah. which for someone at his size, you know, he's bigger than Kihei Clark, but certainly not the biggest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Bennett certainly, you know, is pretty good at getting his guards to rebound kind of regardless of their size. Um, so that is, that is an interesting point to bring up there for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and you can always look back to other teams. Like, you know, Malcolm was a really good rebounder. Um, in at Virginia and London got some rebounds at his time at the point guard position. So I think, I just think there's something about the system that Tony runs that, you know, lets guards get more rebounds than they might otherwise. And, um, I think that's interesting. Definitely. Rob, are there any other stats you want to take a stab at here with basketball? You know, those are, those are the three that come to my mind. I'm going to, I'm going to take one more shot at, um, I think this is going to be an interesting one. We can actually do uh, this for three different categories, but shooting percentages. Um, maybe we can do field goals, free throws, and also three-point percentages as well because I don't think the answer is obvious for all of them. Um, last season, our leading field goal percentage was Grant Kersey, of course, never missing shots, um, 100% field goal percentage, but... Um, the other leading one was Jay Huff at 57.1, uh, which is pretty good. And most of the time it's because he's dunking the ball right next to the right next to the goal. Right behind him is actually Kafaro at 52.9 field goal percentage. So who do you think has a higher field goal percentage for this upcoming season? Yeah, I'll say Jay Huff again. And, you know, it's easier to just go with the front court guys just because they're typically higher percentage shots. You know, Jay Huff, you know, I'd really like Jay Huff to, or at least Tony Bennett to, 
you know, kind of evolved the offense a little bit. So he has taken more shots from three. You know, last year he was only 19 of 53 mm-hmm. from three-point range. I'd love to see that number increase, you know, both attempts and obviously makes as well. But, you know, ultimately I think he's going to be at the five in most of our lineups. So I think Jay Huff will also, you know, out of guys who – and our guys and ties, you know, stats here qualify – uh, with enough shot attempts that we're actually considering. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I didn't look at I shot attempts. We'll... I'm just looking at field goal percentage. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with Jay Huff. Okay. Well, I think I actually think Kafaro could challenge him. I think that if Jay Huff goes more outside, his percentage is going to go down just naturally. You know, he only shot 35.8% from three last year. You brought up his stats. He only made 19 threes, but he made a lot more inside, you know, off alley oops from Kihei, um, uh, putbacks. And also just, you know, having pretty good footwork down low, being able to, you know, take one dribble from the three-point line and dunk it. And I think that, you know, he he has a good chance to lead again. I also think Kafaro has a really good chance. Kafaro's that more of a traditional back-to-the-basket big. Hopefully he gets um, a better touch this season. I think there was a couple times where he was a little bit overwhelmed uh, down low. He He played some really good minutes, especially against North Carolina. Um, against just a bigger, you know, bigger bodied team like that. And I think that there's definitely a role for him this upcoming season. Uh, it really depends on where Jay Huff is shooting from more. Is he more playing more down low? Uh, do we have kind of a twin tower situation with Jay Huff and Kafaro on the floor at the same time? Or do does Jay Huff go outside and we have Hauser in there as well? Because um, if Hauser's in there, then Jay Huff is probably going to be playing more inside. So that'll be interesting to watch this season, how Tony shuffles his bigs around. Um, but I do expect Jay to have the higher percentage at the end of the day. Yeah, yep, same. And uh, next, go ahead. free throw percentage. So Thomas Woldetensai actually had a higher percentage from free throws than Kihei last year. Uh, but I think he only took eight free throws. He was uh, 88.9%, eight of nine. <laughs> eight for nine. Eight for nine, so... Um, and Kihei, of course, shot a lot more free throws. He was 87.6. Uh, Casey Morsell, not a great shooter from outside from last season, but he shot 85.7 from the line, showing that he does have a nice shooting touch. So all three of our top free throw shooters coming are coming back next season. Who do you think leads the team in free throw shooting? Is it one of those three, or do you pick someone like Hauser, who also is a really good shooter? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up Hauser because Hauser actually his last year at Marquette was 92.4% from uh, free throws, which is pretty crazy. Pretty good. Yeah, he was 73 for 79, which, you know, UVA didn't take a lot of free throws last season. That would have been, um, you know, at least the the fourth most attempts on the team. But, you know, I'll go I'll go Kihei Clark. And, you know, the stats, I'd love to see Wolda Tensai and Marcel kind of Force the issue a little bit more you know mm-hmm. Walden Tensai only had nine free throw attempts Casey Morcell had 14 mm-hmm. you know the person with the most free throw attempts was Momady at 122 mm-hmm. he shot 75 percent he's obviously not coming back second um you know Braxton Key and Kihei Clark actually each had 89 free throw attempts but Kihei Clark he was 78 for 89 87.6 percent on the season um you know I'll go with him I think he really especially down the stretch you know became you know <laughs> knock on wood when I say this but really, really close to automatic, kind of the same way Malcolm mm-hmm. Brogdon was, and even Kyle Guy um, in that sense as well. Yeah. So I'll go Kihei Clark, but yeah, you know, 
bringing up Sandhauser, that's a really interesting point there as well. Yeah, I think I, you know, and I haven't. I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Hauser, um, before, like when he was at Marquette. But if if he's shooting, if he shoots like he does at Marquette, I think that he can get a lot of points from the line because ninety two percent is incredible. Um, and I do think that, you know, Tomas can, uh, you know, as you said, force the issue a little bit more. Hopefully Casey can get more of his points from, you know, driving, shooting the ball a little bit more this season. And, um, I think that, you know, next year, if we have four guys who can shoot over 85% from the free throw line, we should be forcing the issue a lot more with our guards, especially if they all shoot that well from the line. Yeah. And I mean, that's the hope is that they can continue to do so on higher volume. Um, but yeah, I mean, Marcel, especially, you know, he's just a big player, you know, physical came in, you know, clearly ready to play in that sense. So I'd love to see him, you know, force the issue a little bit more. And we saw him do that in flashes, but certainly if he's able to do that more consistently, that kind of benefits him yeah. as well as the entire offense yeah so once again we're not really talking about um attempts there's no minimum attempts here but i think if we're if we're going to go for just pure shooting percentage i'm actually going to pick hauser all right so we're, we're split there we're split okay that's weird it feels weird <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on we're going to look at three point percentage and our top dog from last year was Kihei Clark 37.5% from three he actually I think shot much better than people thought he he had a really good knack for hitting big shots and also had a knack for choosing his shots pretty well I thought um still shot 37.5% Mommy D Kite right behind him with 36.4 World Tensai behind him with 36.1 and then Jay Huff right behind him with 35.8 so we had uh, four guys shooting over 35 percent that's okay it's not like the year before where we had three guys shooting over 40 percent from the three-point line and and deandre and ty and kyle um but you know compared to where we started at the beginning of the season i think this team really improved their shooting and i think a lot of it had to do with uh world of ten side yeah i mean definitely with that unc game kind of being you know, mm-hmm. such such a great performance from him. Um, and you know, he he started out the season so cold, and mm-hmm. you know his pat his last few games of the season, he also wasn't, uh, you know, necessarily in the same form he was. He was due. He was due. Couple game stretch. He was due to bounce back. He was gonna. Yeah. He was gonna come back. I felt it. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> um, but three point percentage. You know, I think you have to go with the obvious choice. I think you have to go with Sam Hauser. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam Hauser. You know, each year at Marquette, he was above uh above 40 percent he was 45.3 percent his freshman year 48.7 percent his sophomore and then wow 40.2 percent his uh junior year although his junior year was on pretty significantly more volume mm-hmm. of shots um i think just looking at it i think it's safe to say Sandhauser shoots above 40 percent i'd love to see thomas world at tensai hit that roughly 40 percent number um and, you know, hopefully Kihei can get pretty close there as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I think is important to add, and it's an area that I kind of want to do more research on, is, you know, last year the three-point line was pushed out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's 
fair to expect, you know, a slight decline in the three point percentage, you know, at least comparing it, you know, to the year before where there was only not only great players and Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter, but also a slightly shorter three point line. Yeah. So I think the decline was, you know, expected. You know, we certainly weren't a great shooting team last year, but we came a long way as the season went on. And, you know, hopefully that can bounce back and be a strength of this team uh, yeah. this coming year. Yeah, I agree. And I look for other people to improve too. You know, Cody Statman shot 26.9%. He he came in kind of as known as that, you know, foreign shooter that that uh, that we've kind of wanted and been looking for. He, he actually got most of his minutes based on his defensive play, which I don't think anyone expected. But um, hopefully he can improve. And of course, you know, looking at Casey Morsell, really, really struggled from the line last season. I think a lot of that had to do with, as you said, the extension of the line, but also just the fact that he was a freshman and um, probably needed some time to adjust to the college game. And, you know, if his confidence got shot at the very beginning of the season, it's hard to get that back. So hopefully he can get his confidence up. Hopefully he can get that up from a 17.6% from three, um, which is pretty, pretty bad. Um, And, even Jay Huff, you know, Jay Huff shot 35.8% from three. He's a better shooter than that. He can shoot better than that. I think I, I think the line had something to do with that too, but, you know, hopefully he is able to, you know, get to that corner a little bit more and, and knock down some threes. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way this offense could evolve this season is really interesting to think about, especially as it's kind of evolved, you know, uh, you know, to maximize talents and the championship run and then kind of out of necessity going big again the year before. I think it'll be really interesting to see with all the pieces on this team, uh, you know, what Tony Bennett, what lineups and uh, schemes Tony Bennett chooses to deploy this coming season. I agree. Is there anything else, any other stats you want to talk about before we uh, end this? Nah, dude, I, <laughs> I think that about covers it on my end. What yeah. about you? No, I think we're good. Um, but with that, I think, you know, we've gone over an hour and uh, 15 minutes, so it's pretty long. So we'll end it here. But thanks for listening. We've been gone for a couple of weeks, but hopefully we'll have a more regular schedule um, as, you know, as the summer goes on. And hopefully there will be more insight as to how sports will be and how they will look in the fall. I think uh, there's a lot more coming out. You know, the M- MLB is trying to, you know, get their get their stuff sorted out, and of course the NBA is coming back. How will the NFL respond? I think it's all going to come back soon. And of course, we've got a lot going on with uh, the the athletes being able to use their likenesses. There's a lot of talk about that. Um, whether that happens this coming season or the next. You know, that'll be really interesting, but I think it's good. There's a lot more content to talk about now that coronavirus is uh, slowing down. But once again, we got to mention to make sure you are paying attention to the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the protests against police brutality happening across this country. Those are way more important than sports right now. And even if sports do resume, uh, there still need to be conversations about race and racism uh, that are happening to this day in this country. But with that being said, thank you for listening. This has been the Guys and Ties podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to follow us on Snapchat and Instagram at Guys and Ties Pod. Not, I don't know if there's a lot of bonus content happening right now. Rob, any any word on that? You know, coronavirus has kind of hit the bonus content a little <laughs> bit, but 
I'm hopeful it comes back. Okay. All right. We'll see if it comes back. Uh, make sure to check out Armchair Media. They've got a lot of great podcasts out there uh, regarding all your favorite sports, and they're all coming back. All the sports are coming back eventually, so make sure to get on that. And we will see you guys next time. Go Hoos. <laughs>